0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of k Ive's Talking Sense. This will be your first video podcast. So, as usual, I'm your host, Cameron Ford. We are broadcasting live out here from Scent City in Las Vegas. We have a little fun theme song that I have playing for everybody. So, to help set off this new inaugural Uh, video got to have a little fun with it. Right? All right, cool. I would like to welcome back to the episode, our friend, Simon Prince, Simon, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Cameron. we're glad to have you here. Yeah. I'll kill the music here a little bit Yeah, you get a little, we got a little like Euro vibe going, right? (laughs) Yeah. So thank you for coming back to the show. Um, It's been, you know, wow. Uh, What a couple, two weeks
1: we've had now. Oh, Cameron, I'm nearly dead. Yeah. It was a wonderful two weeks. I have the idea that I'm already here for two or three months. Yeah. It it, it
0: feels, obviously, in some ways, it went by quick, but it was also, it feels like it's been a while too, right?
1: It was intense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, so much learning. I think we worked with over sixty teams. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, over the over the course of two weeks. So, I mean, that's a, that was a lot of dog
1: teams, a lot of classroom stuff. Yeah, and we had to discuss a lot together also. Yes, which was we'll a definitely, lot of ideas. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, and also I had to go to Las Vegas a couple of times because I never was here before. No. Nope. So impressive. Yeah. Get to yeah. see some of the sites. We took you to Top Gun. Top Gun. Impressive. <laughs> yep. Yeah, what an impressive movie.
0: You yep. went to the uh top of the stratosphere, the Strat
1: Hotel. I was surprised that it's so big over here Las Vegas.
0: Yeah. You you wouldn't know uh you know, necessarily because everybody goes to the strip, so they don't yeah. always know that there's a lot more out here than just the strip. So uh, enormous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The uh but you get to also go see, um, uh, you get to go one of the casinos out here, the Venetian.
1: Yeah. I saw the dog training in the Venetian. Yep. And everything they set up over there. Yeah. Beautiful what Anthony is doing. Yes. Yes. He's done. Deep respect for what he's uh, put out there. Yeah. Really nice.
0: No, he's, he's put in a lot of work to get it to where it's at today. And I'm glad you got to go out there and, and see well, at least one of the casinos out here doing what they do.
1: Yeah. Wonderful.
0: Yeah. You got to spend some time with the trainers I have, Natalie and Lily. Yeah. Perfect team. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A lot of people don't understand it, but the whole day we are busy in the workshop. So early morning around five o'clock, we wake up, we prepare our lessons for the day. We make the schedule. We go to the school where we are hosted here. Mm-hmm. We prepare everything. The students coming in, the whole day we are busy. In between lessons, we take a quick lunch. And then when everybody's going back to the hotel, we carry on, we move on, and I join your team in training the yeah. students that you have also here. Yes. So. Yeah, it, yeah, it was crazy because we had the canine
0: school, go, canine school going on, <laughs> seminar going on. Yeah. You here, you know, doing training with uh, all the students, and then you traveling around and getting to go out and, and yeah. go see everybody. So. Yeah. Yeah, pretty nuts. And I, like you said, I'm lucky to have both Natalie and Lily, who kind of manage a lot of those other things that are happening at the same time we're doing those things. Uh, I'll, I'll bring into uh, Lily into the question or into the uh, podcast here for a second about you had a lot of fun connecting with somebody who did a lot of data research, and we'll get into this even further, but. Uh, I know you found a fellow person who was really into data collection when it comes to detection dogs.
1: Yeah, it was impressive because when I first arrived here, I was, of course, talking to your team about data collection. That's a really big topic for me about using protocols. And uh, both were looking with big eyes. I want to know more about that. So in the evening, I took some time to give them some ideas about working with protocols, about working with data. And they were really um, eager to learn more, so that was really nice. And next morning, then Lily uh, presented a little bit of her work to me about what she was doing with the MRI Mm -hmm. scans, Mm -hmm. working with the protocols. She designed herself 250 pages, coming up with enormous amounts of data. Yeah. Yeah, I was really impressed. So, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, that that
0: was what she did with the... uh, Uh, MRI, uh, research work she did back over at Auburn was obviously heavily in data collection. And, um, what we got into in our first seminar was a lot or the importance of collection of data, not just data when it comes to, um, what my dog found, uh, what the weather condition was. It was data in regards to accuracy, how my dog was performing in each, uh, session, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm doing lineups, how did my dog do the lineups? Did we have any false positives, any false negatives? Um, w- how accurate the dog was uh, through those, let's say, 10 trials. So t- talk a little bit about the importance of data collection and accuracy and wh- how you saw.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I have to go back all the, uh, in, uh, for a lot of years. 1996, I started with a really intense program. And one of the main success uh, factors in that program was the that I was uh, gathering a lot of data, analyzing the data, and made the protocols better all the time. A lot of trainers these days start to understand a little bit about protocols, a little bit about data, and again, I really agree with you, it's not about what you have found. It's more about uh, how can I make my protocol more efficient, more effective for the next time. So in that time, for instance, uh, when we started to use protocols for the first time, there were manuals nothing concrete there were living documents and that means when we are training we get the data in the evening we analyze it and we make the, uh, the protocol better the next day mm-hmm. and to give you an idea 1996 we were already working with lasers we were giving dogs directionals and cues with lasers on two three hundred meters away from us uh, in that time we spent around eight nine months to train a dog from the start to two three hundred meters away but by gathering data, by changing our protocols all the time, we do it now in, well, I think nearly three weeks. So there you can see already the benefit of using protocols and gathering data. Yeah. And that's, of course, everything we have done here the last two weeks in working with detection docs with data, you can make it faster, more reliable.
0: Yeah, uh, and I think a lot of the people that came to the seminar had that takeaway of, that information they got from the data collection helped them become uh, more efficient with their training, got to see things that might have, uh, they didn't notice before. They weren't tracking what necessarily was happening with a false positive or mm-hmm. a false negative. Um, and, you know, capturing that data so that way you can be better for the next training session, which leads me to the other part of the data collection, which is setting your protocols, right? Yeah and the importance of doing those protocols ahead of your training session. So you're going to your records, you're creating your protocol, what you want to do for that session.
1: Yeah. You, you know, the human mind is not so good in giving us an objective uh, feedback of what just happened. So if you and I are training our dogs, we are not gathering data. Then after some time, we are friends. So we say, hey, Cameron, I was training? Yeah, I'm really nice. Oh, thank you. We had a nice day. We go home. But if you really, really look into what is going on, if you're collecting the data, then you see the gaps, then you see the the things that you have to work on more. Um, and especially really important in uh, the detection work that we all do.
0: Yeah, and that's, you know, like I said, a critical piece that we don't do enough of uh, with that, you know, data collection. It gets, like I said, goes into just what my odors were, what my set time was, oh. that kind of stuff, it's, it's not enough. Um, by going into those protocols and setting those protocols ahead of time, then keeping track of or tracing that data. We have more information and those that are watching this and listening to this, um, if you email us, we have like a little spreadsheet that shows you a really simple, like three item lineup that you can use and practice with doing uh, those protocols. So that way you have a better plan uh, when you go to training, it's not good just to wing it. And a lot of times we wing it, including myself. I've showed up the training sometimes and said, hey, I'm just going to try this and see what it works. Uh, but putting that little forethought into it and setting it up and say, okay, I'm going to do 10 trials. This is what I'm going to try to do. This is the accuracy. I'm hoping my dog will do, you know, not setting up always a spot one or spot two, you know, by just randomizing it helps yeah. you with that better setup.
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of people are really afraid to collect data. They're afraid to use protocols. But if you see if you start using it, keep it simple, uh, so you can see your progress, and it's really motivating. Yeah. So if we do today some lineups, for instance, and the dog was struggling with some parts of it because we were going really low in odor or we used really strong distractions, um, today we see a lot of mistakes. Tomorrow we see improvement. Mm-hmm. That's motivating, not mm-hmm. only for the dog but also motivating for us as trainers.
0: Yeah. And what was also interesting uh, when we did those uh, protocols in the lineups, you also shared how you use uh, Placeboard. Yeah. And using, you know, in this case, we had the Cato Placeboards that we used throughout the seminar, and, and shout out to them for getting the Cato boards here for the seminars. And we used them and put them to great use for a lot of the students. But talk about how you use the Placeboards not only for like position of control, but the things that you can do with that to help your dog be better in detection and to create some stability in the dogs?
1: Yeah, I started to use place boards when I started to use the directional program. <clears throat> a place board um, is a really steady platform. It is a little bit higher than normal. It will give clear criteria, not only clear criteria for you as a trainer, but also clear criteria for your dog. And a place board is giving a lot of stability, mental stability for the dog. So I place my dog on the board. I can do whatever I like. The dog is used to sitting or laying down on the place board. He knows good things will come. The good things that will come is that I will reinforce the dog or I will start the dog from that place. And it's just a relaxing moment in time, a sort of a mental anchor. We use normally in training mental anchors that dogs will touch us or Mm -hmm. will come to us or put Mm -hmm. their uh, their, their hat on my hand for some time. But the play sport is also a mental anchor.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for me, what I got to watch was how a lot of dogs, um, it really just, like you said, helped them calm down. They'd get so stimulated by... Uh, The excitement to go do the detection that they get themselves so worked up that they aren't really efficient going down a lineup or going around a wheel, they're just Mm -hmm. overloaded. And just by having them anchor themselves, like you said, sitting on that uh, you know, uh, Cato platform board, they settled down, they waited, and then when they started, they started with more efficiency and like at the first pipe, and it was really clear to them. And what I really liked in in some of the videos that you shared was it also allowed you when you're training by yourself for the dog to go to the Cato board, sit and wait while you move some things around. The dog's not doing anything. And then when you're
1: ready, you can send the dog right from, you know, that that Cato board that you're at. Yeah, the Cato boards are important for me. I start all dogs on Cato boards, but I start also all handlers, all trainers to work with Cato boards um, because uh, it giving me uh, an insight on the skill set of the trainers and also of the dogs. Uh, and please don't uh, understand me wrong. I don't use negative reinforcement by, oh, by working with place boards. I use positive reinforcement. So the dogs start to understand if I'm on the skateboard board and in the beginning it's one part, then it's two parts and eventually it's four parts on the skateboard. board. That is the criteria that will give me uh, the reinforcements. And it, yeah, well, you have seen it. it it's mm-hmm. becoming a really powerful mm-hmm. magnet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not new in the dog training, of course. We are using it for many years. Uh, I see it a lot in the obedience world. I see it a lot by also in the sea mammal world. Placeboards yep. are really yep. uh, interesting. In free uh, bird flying shows, I see a kind yes. of a placeboard. So placeboard is not new in the animal world, but mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit new in the fact that detection dog trainers start to understand, hey, this is helping me in preparation of my exercise. It's helping me to bring my dog in a more mental, calm way before they need to make really difficult decisions.
0: Yeah, the you, you just said it, a lot of animal programs utilize place locations. Yeah, uh, The dog obedience world is obviously getting behind using place boards a lot now. I see whether it be YouTube videos or uh, stuff on Facebook, social media, people using those different um, place boards to enhance their training, to teach calmness, teach dog to wait here. And there's a really good bleed over into detection that I've seen where I've watched a lot of uh, these dogs, especially the past two weeks, really get a whole lot calmer and better. One of was even one that we were training, uh, for an agency here in Nevada, uh, Having her on the placeboard yeah. had a real good bleed over to her yeah. indication. Her indication became a whole lot smoother. She wasn't so wiggly, better focus. Yeah. So that just came from being on, you know, the, playing the, the placeboard games.
1: Yeah, I think we see it also in the classroom with the little children. Yeah. Come on, guys, sit on your chair, mm-hmm. and the lesson start again.
0: Yeah, oh so, yeah. No, it, it's one of those definitely. It's an important uh, tool. So. Uh, you kind of hinted at it. One of the other things that you covered was directionals. Yeah. And uh, directionals, not just for detection, but directionals in some of the things that you can do with dogs that do bleed over to to, uh, detection, but even other exercises like search and rescue where they need directionals for certain types of, uh, whether it be a rubble pile, whether it be a collapsed building, the importance of directionals. And I'll let you talk a little bit about that. And I think you might even have a video you'll show uh, that showcases some of these things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, directionals, um, it's all about that you train your dog in a way, and it's also for detection that you train your dog in a way that the dog is still thinking and is still able to make decisions. So before we know it, Um, people are training dogs with the idea i'm mastering you i know what is the best for you and they take away the fact that the animal is really capable to make decisions itself so directional is really a very interesting part of the whole dog training program that i have done in the past and that i'm still doing uh, because it really challenges you as a trainer Mm -hmm. Um, the dogs are so in tune with us so they scanning our body language the whole time, listening to our voice. But if you start to train a dog to really listen to your voice, so not the sit and the down, um, or the sit and the down, or the left and the right, now if you really start to train dogs to really listen to your command, um, then you're going into a a next phase of animal training, especially when the dogs are 150, 200 meters away, Mm -hmm. listening to a little voice in the radio collars um or in search and rescue really looking at your hand signals mm-hmm. like we see here a lot in the usa in the field trial um, competitions that yeah. with hand signals you can uh, give the dog directionals on really in really challenging circumstances yeah i, I love directionals yeah yeah
0: in there's a lot of different ways to train them and um Like you said, a lot of those things come through sometimes a negative reinforcement tool, Mm. directional uh, pressure with e-collar, line pressure, things like that, as well as, you know, there's even older school techniques, which obviously, thank goodness, aren't as popular as they used to be. But now with some of the things, talk about how some of these steps that you do that helps, that makes it fun and engaging for the dog Um, and the motivational aspect that you get through that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, we talked about it many times and you saw me, that was our first um, uh, meeting in uh, in Holland eh? yeah. in the th- yeah, summer 2000. Na- no, 1999. Oh, 1999. Yeah. Well, I started in 1996 with the program. I had yeah. to develop the program that was not uh, there yet in the world. I flew around the whole world, but nobody was doing it in a way that we could give a dog directionals to go 200, 300 meters away in the middle of the night. And, um, and do some things for us over there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I had to build this from scratch and one of the first ideas that I had is that I cannot go into the coercion. Going into the coercion, going into the punishment side will not give me the power to send an animal 200 meters away in the middle of the night in a place where he never was before. Um, So I kept away from that part, but I had no idea how to do it yet. I was really lucky I was in contact with Bob Bailey and Marian Bailey. They helped me a lot to understand if you start to train heavily on positive reinforcement, if you start to train animals with uh, anticipation and expectation out there magic will happen, then you get a whole different uh, form of motivation that will not say that I'm pushing people away that are using negative reinforcement, punishment, or whatever. I don't want to uh, go into that sort of discussions. Everybody's welcome in the things that mm-hmm. I do, that you mm-hmm. are doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not putting people in, in groups or label people. Yep. But I think it's important to emphasize that if you put in a lot of positive reinforcement, what we also see in the detection world, then the motivation will rise and you are able to do things that were not possible for me in the past. So um, if the dogs are going out there, if they do their work in over a great distance, I think I cannot uh, look in that into the brain here. Eh? We have some problems in communicating, we only see the body language, Sure. but if I could communicate with them. Then I think we had the understanding that they say, well, I expect something really great there. Mm -hmm. And the really great there, that can be a ball machine, it can be a feeder, it can be a bridge signal, it can be a series of directionals, go left, go right, go forward, do something, grab something, drop something, look at something. Mm -hmm. So we made it such uh, really incredible little journeys for the animals every time when they were going out there. Mm -hmm. That I'm still impressed, even after doing this for more than 25 years, I'm still impressed that animals are working so hard for us yeah. with so much fun.
0: Yeah, it, it it comes to that relationship part that you also brought up in the seminar, yeah, and being happy. You you would go to handlers all the time and say, "Are you happy?" Be happy uh, because obviously when you're in a seminar, there's lots of people around. Yeah. Uh, you, you get nervous. Uh, you're, you're dealing with, you know, your different um, – uh, just the eyes on you. And you actually brought up a point about being the – as they, that one saying was, be the, the man in the arena or the, the person in the arena. And um, that's the pressure. You yeah. know, that's not hard. I mean, it's hard. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. And we want to be, at times, uncomfortable so that way we understand that in our training. And many people have heard me on the podcast talk about uh, pushing yourself to failure, know what those failures feel like while it's in training because that's your safe spot versus, you know, failing out, you know, in a much more uh, situation where it's more important, more things around on the line in training. We can have a failure and learn from it and mm-hmm. then be better prepared for that real search or that competition search, whatever those uh, aspects are for you as a detection dog handler. But we have to be willing to be uncomfortable, but you can still have fun with it. Still, yeah. in, you're getting to work your dog and you're getting to have a lot of fun. I'll let you kind of expand upon you know what you were sharing with, the, with everybody that came here when it came to being happy, why you know? Like you said, how many fingers do I have up? And they're thrown off, like why are you asking me how many fingers do I have up? And then you are taking the pressure out. You're making them get out of their own head.
1: Yeah, yeah. Being happy, you know. At the at the moment, the, not only the dog world, I think the political arena uh, discussions with police and whatever, but especially when I zoom back in the dog world, it's left or right, it's black or white there's a lot of polarization going on. You're a positive trainer, you're a negative trainer, you're a trainer, you're 100% positive. I think we need to go back in communication style that we start being curious. I'm curious when I see somebody using an e-caller. I'm curious when I see somebody using chicken instead of kibble. I'm curious when I see somebody using a kong instead of a ball. I'm curious what they're doing in general. Mm-hmm. And I'm not labeling people. No. And, but uh, these days it's even uh, really difficult for a lot of people to stay somewhere in the middle you have to choose you have mm-hmm. to you have to be on this side yeah. or on that side and what i was sharing about not only being happy but about the skill of communicate uh, communicating with each mm-hmm. other yeah mm-hmm. if you look in uh, how we communicate with each other it can be a debate that's often what you see in the political arena So we choose sides, you choose your side, Mm -hmm. I choose my side, Mm -hmm. we speak to the speaker Mm -hmm. and we're not speaking to each other anymore. We can go into a discussion. So you have your idea, I have Mm -hmm. my idea. Well, Mm -hmm. if we have a really uh, hard discussion, eventually Mm -hmm. the problem of a discussion is you have a winner and you have somebody that Mm -hmm. is losing. And um, I prefer to go into the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing this sort of thing? Can I ask you what you're doing? And then uh, the skill set of communication is coming back. And yes, of course, if uh, people are working in front of a group, you're standing there. And then the books of Brene Brown, the TED Talks that she did, you can find her on Google, and YouTube, and whatever. Check it. I'll put a link to it. Yeah, she told us a lot about shame and guilt. And then with that knowledge, I was zooming in back in the dog world. When I started in the police force, I saw a lot of coercion going on, a lot of punishment going on. Um, and later on when the world is changing, then I have the idea that a lot of people over there still are a little bit shamed in the, in the Mm -hmm. guilt Mm -hmm. and have problems to talk about it, have problems to change their behavior. Mm -hmm. And that is the reason that I brought it up and that I keep saying to people, be happy because you're coming in, you're stepping into the arena. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, um, Stepping into the arena is President Roosevelt uh, wrote it somewhere in 1910, uh, I think 1913, somewhere there. Mm -hmm. It was a speech about the fact that he he was telling, if you're stepping into the arena, if you're stepping into the performance, so that can be an operational search, it can be a search and rescue, but it can also be a training in your group. If you're stepping in the arena, you are out there, you're presenting yourself, you're there together with your dog, Mm -hmm. and you're doing your thing. Mm And of course you will make mistakes, uh, people will laugh at you, people will make uh, not nice comments on you, on you, but those people are there sitting watching you, mm-hmm. they are not being a part in the arena. And I have a lot of respect for people that are out there, that are placing themselves in the arena. Because yeah. you are vulnerable when you are there. Of course. And in my imagination, I, I see people putting on a bulletproof vest. Not a real actual bulletproof vest, but mm-hmm. a mental bulletproof vest. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to help them. I tried to get them out of their head going back to the time that they started with dogs. Yeah. You know, how, how, old, how old were you, Cameron, when you started with dogs? Wow. So um, there was
0: probably what, – what I'm getting at is I, I grew up next to a gentleman who trained police dogs. Yeah. And that had a profound effect effect on me, and I, I talk about that on some of my other podcasts. Uh, there was an episode where my good friend interviewed me on mm-hmm. this podcast, and uh, he had a profound effect on me. And that got me around dogs huh. and, and around his dogs, which were security dogs and police dogs and things like that. I then probably, I guess, I was probably twenty one, twenty two is when I ended up going to work for him and started getting my hands on dogs. Mm -hmm. And that is when I I would say I
1: officially started really training dogs. Well, you know, I meet a lot of people that I bring back to even uh, younger years, when Mm -hmm. they were five or six years old, when they were around dogs, and when they started to feel something for dogs, and they really like to work with dogs. Mm -hmm. And I bring people back to that part. Because, you know, I meet a lot of people in the dog training world that had experience with really uh, bad trainers, coercion trainers, not uh, only uh, putting coercion on the dogs, but also putting uh, put coercion on them. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, you make mistakes. You do this wrong. Uh, too late. Um, that sort of things. And it's not helping us to grow. No. Nope. So being happy is something that I try to take the tension of because if people are feeling happy, they are opening up again mm-hmm. and they are ready to learn the new steps. Yep. And it
0: might put you on the spot for a second and I'll talk as you find it. I would love if you're able to share that video the one where you um, there was a video where it's about communication it's the oh, guy with in the, in the in the poor in regards to the, the poor and he oh, took that guy. Two, yeah he took two ways of sharing the message yeah. and, I'll, and I'll let you pull it up and I'll make sure you have your computer audio uh, set to shoot to this so the people in the uh, oh, uh, that are listening that aren't watching it on YouTube uh, that are listening on the podcast can hear it too, yeah. but the 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 point of the video as Simon cues it up is we approach communication in different ways, and how you share a message can be very powerful, and it happens a lot on Facebook. And I know we've kind of got into this whole um, be happy and things like that, but with so much focus on negative and polarization, it affects our dog training. There's things that we go through uh, in dog training that we need to have a similar outlook in life Mm -hmm. that we're talking about now, communication, good communication with people. Um, And maybe how we phrase something and how we engage with our dogs will make a complete difference and make things a whole lot easier, better, less stress. You know, one of the biggest things I talk about in the sport community is sometimes the undue pressure. It's something that they ha- they should have fun, right? Um, and detection sometimes in a uh, competition mode puts more pressure on you and you have a negative mindset or you get upset kind of easier. And I want people to look at it and have fun, yeah. you know, And which is why, you know, I'll kind of premiere it here. Um, myself, you, and Michael Ellis and a couple others we've talked so far, And there will be a fun detection event. I'm not going to call it a sport. I'm going to call it detection event. And we're calling it Mondio Detection. And Mondio Detection, we'll get into more later on. But it's about having fun and putting yourself in challenges and fun instances with your dog that you guys have to figure out and enjoy. So stay tuned for that. But cycling is back now. I know you're ready. You're queued up. It's about the message We send, and I want to share that with the audience. So, if you're ready, I will. I'm ready. Okay, go ahead. Morning. Can I give you some info? Morning, sir. Take a leaflet. Leaflet, guys. Morning, buddy. How are you? Would you like to take a leaflet? Fuck the poor. Would you like to take a leaflet, mate? What do you mean, fuck the poor? Fuck the poor. Fuck them. That's disgusting. What's
1: all this? What 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 do you think you should do? You start to get a job if you ain't got a place to live. I okay came a poor country. Jesus fuck me as well. Yeah? They've hit rock bottom. There's a reason for that. You should be thinking of a better way to
0: get them off the street. If the guy's cold down there. Go give him a blanket. Just a joke. We're gonna become bitter brothers. I've been homeless for two years. You've Got no fucking heart. No, I don't respect that at all. You're just standing there like an idiot. You not think huh? no. it's too far? That is offensive. Help the poor. Anyone got any spare change, folks? Help the poor. Help the poor, please, folks. So that gives a very different uh, outlook. And there was a guy who had like the typical, you know, when he's out there, you know, asking for money. um, He's shaking the, the little cup. But in this case, he has the placards over his body, you know, the signage, you know, on one side and the other side. And his first thing was, fuck the poor. Hmm. Fuck the poor. You know, people walking by looking at him like, what? He's like, yeah, fuck the poor, man. Fuck the poor. And people are, like, getting pissed off. They they were coming up to him very mad. And um, it, it, it drew passion out. He does the exact same thing, but he changes the sign, and he has the cup, and it says, help the poor help the poor, and nobody pays attention to him. Everybody ignores him. Everybody ignores him. So it's the perspective sometimes, and something is how we say something. In one way, he got lots of attention. Mm. And, it, and it was just in a negative way, got a lot more attention than the positive way.
1: Yeah, that was also uh, uh, happening sometimes during the classes that we were doing. Sometimes dogs were making mistakes, and then 20, 25 people are watching it and then you see some people starting to smile because they see mistakes you see some other people turning their head away or starting to uh, look at their phones mm-hmm. and then i like to freeze it for a moment and ask the people to help us because yeah. there's a lot of experience in the group yeah in in i think in average people have 10 15 years experience in the group so mm-hmm. put it all together we have 5 600 years experience and then suddenly you see people starting to become a member of the group they are activated and Mm -hmm. they're coming up with all good ideas Mm -hmm. and then suddenly it is the problem not only for the handler or not only the problem for simon and handler but then it's becoming our problem as a group Mm -hmm. and everybody's active everybody's active learning also everybody's Mm -hmm. engaged Mm -hmm. and then suddenly very good ideas are coming up and we started to help each other yeah And that is what I uh, like so much in the work that you are doing. You're bringing people together, people with the right mindset, intrinsic, motivated people, knowledgeable people like Paola, Nathan, Lauren the Grave, Michael Ellis, and more people around us. Um, Those people are going to help us to, um, my biggest wish, bring the door community uh, community more together.
0: Yeah, and that's been one of my biggest goals is, there's a lot of people with great knowledge and information. And this isn't a magic show. Detection dog training or training in general isn't a magic show. Yeah, It, it should be information that's shared. And there's a lot of people with really, really good information. And I want them to be able to uh, share that to an even bigger audience. And a lot of times, uh, for example, the scientific community doesn't get a message sent across as – good as I would hope, you know, um, because some people go, oh, they're scientists. Oh, it's research. Oh, I don't care. Um, then there's a whole other flip side that really embraces it and really, uh, likes seeing that or hearing or sharing that scientific information. Um, without a doubt, you know, having both Dr. Nathan Hall and Dr. Paula Tiedemann here this, uh, week, sharing the information from the research was profound. There's some really good stuff. They're not just doing research on random items. They're doing research on uh, drug detection, bomb detection, uh, human remains, all kinds of things that are being researched right now that to make uh, make a direct impact on many of us in the professional side of things to even uh, other uh, ecological aspects too, conservation stuff that we're studying. Mm-hmm. So. Um, like you said, it's it's some of the things that uh, you share from, from a perspective, and I'll pull up on the screen right here yeah. that you, what you have, so people, and you can talk about it.
1: Yeah, the, the, the problem at the moment is that we don't speak the same language. So in research and uh, animal training, we speak different languages, and we need to find each other. We need to be curious uh, what we are doing and how we can help each other. So if I show a, a picture like this, then it's really interesting because... What do we see as a duck right here? Yeah, when if those are looking at the screen,
0: it's one of those Myers Briggs or what, what do you call this? The ink blot test, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I might have said the psychological exam, but the uh, it, it's it looks like a typical black and white um, ink blot test. But when you look at this image a dog trainer sees a dalmatian right yeah and those that are watching it on on youtube can see this and it's uh looks like a dalmatian to many of us
1: yeah but it was really interesting because when i was in in a big military conference some years ago with scientists and dog trainers and they were as normal as sitting in groups dog trainers together and the scientists together and i asked what do you see here the typical answer from dog trainers of course a dalmatian and from the scientist, uh, Simon, it's nice. It's a white square with some b- black dots in it. <laughs> so we need to find uh, a common language. Yes. Yeah. And, and, that's a, and that's a big thing. You know,
0: like you said, uh, many times we, we lack finding that common language back to that polarization. Uh, are you a marker? Do you use a marker or do you not? Are you, you know, I'll make it this way. Are you direct or indirect reward? Uh, are you food or your toy? Uh, those that argue, oh, I don't want to use food because a dog that needs food is a crappy dog. A dog's not going to be a good detection dog or whatever dog. Um, or, the uh, you know, uh, like I said, the... Use of a condition reinforcer became polarizing recently, and I was one of the ones that shared a lot of information on the use of a condition reinforcer, and I was very uh, passionate about sharing that information because it made big differences in dog teams to have a way to communicate efficiency yep. and um, to not get deal with the typical problems that many handlers dealt with, like being caught getting their reward item. They're reaching for their pocket and doing whatever, and the dog's doing this, and if they just had a simple... Uh, an option to use a condition reinforcer, uh, it would have helped them out quite a bit. So then that turned into a lot of the information I was sharing was heavily about that. And everybody mm-hmm. was like, oh, well, Cameron must only do condition reinforcers. And I had to bring it back and start showing people, no, I do both. I will reward at source, but I'd still do so with a condition reinforcer prior to me doing so. It wasn't as much about the location as
1: it was about communication part of that yeah you know there are a lot of paradigms in the dark world a Mm -hmm. lot of paradigms a lot of beliefs Mm -hmm. and of course scientists are helping us to cut away a lot of of those uh, paradigms and we can do a better job ourselves by just asking what's going on using research Mm -hmm. and uh, you know in the dark world I see a lot of new uh, new principles new techniques so people are doing something they slam the name on it and suddenly it's a this new training style, it's my new <laughs> training style, or whatever. Yes, yes. There's no Simon training style. Yeah. No, there is no Cameron, Cameron training nope, style. Nope. Yeah, what I, what I do, what we do, we go back to Pavlov, Skinner, Thorndike, Watson, uh, premac We use a lot of everything that is already done, is already written down. You can read it, you can study it, you can use it in your animal training. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, let's not come up all the time with fancy names for something that is already around us for more than 150 years. Yeah. Would be my idea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I dig up some some. Yep, uh, ready to share that? And okay, from, so this
0: is from Directionals,
1: right? Yeah, from the Directionals. Um, when we started in 1996, so this is a long time ago, mm-hmm. we started to use lasers, and at that time now you can buy them at Walmart for $2, I think, but in that time we bought them for $25,000 mm-hmm. at least. Wow. Uh, so that was an uh, enormous investment. Uh, but from there, we started to use uh, targets, all the sort of different targets. I, I, I specific started to use these targets because it's easy to carry. Mm-hmm. You can stack them really easy. You can take 10 or 15 targets with you. Um, and what you see here in the right uh, corner is the very basic start we send our dogs to an open sky kennel or a, a, no you call it yeah yeah, yeah open sky, sky kennel, sky kennel. Okay. yep just
0: it's a it's a kennel or a typical airline kennel yeah. uh opened up so there's no top to it it's just the bottom part of it yeah. so those that are uh trying to yeah, listen because to this
1: yeah of really clear criteria uh, for the dog and for the trainer after that we started with the place boards because a little bit easier to carry mhm then we start with targets that you see over here. The basic is all around five meters, so mm-hmm. left, right, forward, coming mm-hmm. here, that sort mm-hmm. of things. The fetching, the dropping, uh, th- that sort of skill sets. Because if you train it in this uh, area that's really uh, short, the dog doesn't need a lot of time. You can do a lot of repetitions mm-hmm. because we like to set up animals for success. Uh, eventually it will become a little bit uh, more distance. We start to use feeders. Really simple feeders here. I, I, I build them myself um, because a feeder doesn't need for me to have um, cameras, audio, uh, sure. all sort of programs inside. No, when I push a button, it's all easy it put, to do. Yeah, yeah, nothing it's, more. Yeah. Then we add uh, some left and right uh, angles into it, and eventually you will see this sort of uh, behavior. What you see over here, I will start the movie when okay. I keep Go on ahead. talking. You will see here a dog that is giving a directional, just move on and keep walking until you hear a command. And in this uh, way, it's a sit and go to a left. And that's from the dog's position. Then he keeps walking into a left straight line. Mm -hmm. He's not going to the left and right. Now he keeps on working on a straight line. Then there's a bridge signal and he's coming back. Yeah. The powerful thing from Bob and Marion, what I was learning in 1996 is when, where and what. So the animal never know when the bridge is coming. You never know where the bridge will come and you never know what eventually the reinforcer will be. Uh, now you see, I'm working on the anticipation of the dog. So on the same directional, we will get a sit in the water and then I'm sending him to the right. And then there's a bridge signal and he's coming back to me for reinforcement. But it can also be that I hide a ball machine or Uh, feed him uh, him somewhere again i give him the same route again working on the anticipation give him a sit he's not sitting because it's really cold water and i'm sending him to the left Mm -hmm. so you have already done a few different directional changes there then the bridge signal will be there and when he's coming back now i will send him again on the same direction but i don't want him to sit now i don't want him to stop i don't want him to go left and right on his own idea i like to keep mental control over the dog mm-hmm. so sending him again on the straight line he's not stopping he keeps on walking mm-hmm. until he will get a new cue then i will give him a sit over there and then instead of left right i send him 180 degrees to the other side And not only giving a shit and looking at me, but I'm turning him around that he's looking into another direction.
0: Yeah, his back is towards you and he's looking ahead like towards the direction he was initially going. Yeah,
1: and this is um, the whole basic of the radio directional stuff. Mm -hmm. And you see no targets over here anymore. They are already fade out in the training program here.
0: And that's a really cool, powerful tool. I mean, the... Uh, A a lot of times this, I mean, like you did right there, you sent that dog out in a straight line, stopped it for a second, and then sent it to the left. Yeah goes all the way, keeps going left until you stop it. In this case, you gave a your condition reinforced for the whistle. Yeah. Dog comes back, gets rewarded from you. Yeah. And then you reset, do it again, and you change directions. You do it through the cold water, stop them in the water, move them left, move them right. Uh, there's no e collar. There's no, no. pressure. No. It's the dog doing it because it wants to do it. Yeah. And it's doing it because it's reinforcing and it's enjoying itself with you, Mm -hmm. which is another big component, whether it be detection or directionals or any of the things, it's that relationship with you Mm -hmm. that really drove this. And I'll add to this, there's even another dog uh, that you had that was, you obtained it because uh, other programs, it was too aggressive. Mm. And you shared throughout this class, this dog was really aggressive didn't like anybody had gone through lots of pressure, and you took your time with it. Yeah. And you basically rebuilt this dog, rebuilt its mindset, and it realized it wasn't going to receive pressure anymore. Yeah. And we're not going totally crazy, oh, force free, you know, training, but you rehabbed this dog, you built hope into this dog, which was really important. Yeah. And by building that hope into the dog, um, I think you know, really changed it, especially when we got to watch videos of you doing laser directionals with this dog that would want to kill people before. Mm. So I can let you kind of, you know, fill any gaps I left off there, but, you know, it was big about the relationship you built.
1: I think it's all about autonomy. So if we have some autonomy in the things that we are doing in our work, so if you are in a job and you have no autonomy at all, so if you want to go to the restroom, you have to ask permission. If you want to drink a cup of coffee, you have to ask permission then you will slow down in everything you have ever done. And I think if you get some more autonomy of the person that you're working for, you feel more relaxed, you have more initiative, and you will probably will do more than uh, people ask from you. And I think that's the same with dogs. If we take away everything that they uh, can do themselves, Um, There will be a moment that dogs don't want to work for you anymore, they will run away or they will start to attack you with the bloodlines that we have, uh, especially in police and in military. Then you can, uh, of course, uh, use even more coercion and more punishment, but for some dogs they will not stop. And then what is left? So this dog was a really good example. They used in the past so much punishment and coercion for this animal because he was biting everybody around him. Uh, I yeah, I don't like shortcuts, so I used a lot of time to um, get a relation with the dog, mm-hmm. but eventually we had a really nice relation together. And I still remember the first time that I had him outside, he was wearing a, a muzzle, and he was also on a leash, and I gave him the simple command, sit, mm-hmm. just immediately attacked me. Just the fact that I was coming into a zone, into a space, mm-hmm. bang. Um, I was standing up, I reset him and then a a reset means, okay, calm down, we do this again. Mm -hmm. And then I saw literally, really, when I was saying sit to the dog, I was seeing his eyes closed, Mm. uh, his body started to shake and he was ready for the next attack. Mm. But eventually we became really good friends and what was helping was give him back the decision moments. So what you saw on the video with the laser uh, targets that he was going for, if you uh, go for the right one, grab that one and have a nice play with me. Mm -hmm. So we used the secondary reinforcers and the primary reinforcers and the primary reinforcers play to have a good, uh, solid reinforcement for the dog. And when the dog was making a mistake, I didn't mind. And I say, okay, nice, you want to come here, let it go. Put Mm you back on the place board, relax? We reset the exercise again and we do it again. Because, Cameron, that's the same for you and me. Eh? Um, my phone, every six weeks, I need to put in a, a new code. Yeah, So mm-hmm. it's redialing itself all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. So imagine that you, after six weeks, using your code, then you have to change your code suddenly, and have the idea that you you grab your phone, you want to call somebody, and you have the wrong code and you get a shock or yeah. somebody's hitting you yeah. in the face. Yeah, You're becoming really afraid for that sort of thing. Yeah, But now if you do it a few times wrong, oh yeah, nothing happens. So if you do it a few times wrong, and that's the same what I was saying here with your uh, students over here with the detection uh, exercise that we're doing, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Mistakes are nice. You learn something from mm-hmm. it and you will
0: grow. Yeah, and, and, and that was... Part of it, like we brought, said, said a little while ago, was their fear of making that mistake in front mm-hmm. of everybody else, uh, the judging aspect, because, you know, uh, dog handlers can be pretty brutal on each other as yeah. far as critiques. Um, and, you know, it's vulnerability, and that's not always a fun thing. So people struggle with that. Um, and, and you relax them with how we interacted. Um, but, no, you know, it's important to – uh, like you said, learn I, I, that these. I
1: like, I like to use feet. Uh, feet forward. Say something about that. Yeah, please, like please feet go feet ahead. Forward. That's a great. That's a great. So um, we are so used to use feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's normal, typical. I see that a lot in the dog training world. Somebody's training the dog. The instructor standing there, and then after some time, okay, put your dog in the kennel, or in the car, and I will give you some feedback. And it's bang, 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 wrong, late. Uh, this is not great, And.
0: All the things they did wrong.
1: What did you do? Oh, what did you do? You're not learning anything from that. So I like to use feed forward. Feedback is always in the past. We cannot go back in the past. We cannot change what happened in the past. Often, if I'm too late with my clicker, I know it myself. I feel it in my body. You don't have to say to me, Simon, you are late with the yeah. clicker. Yeah, nice, Cameron. I, I felt it myself. I, I knew that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, feed um, uh, forward means you... See the training that's going on as an instructor. You pay attention to the body language, not only for the dog, but also for the handler, what's difficult, what's not difficult. And then you freeze the training for a moment, or you ask the, the handler to put your dog in the, in the car for a moment. And then you say to each other, you know what? The next trials that we're going to do, I'd like you to zoom um, on the left hand because... If you put your left hand in your pocket, it will be uh, it will be not moving anymore. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can uh, influence the dog in a better way in that way. Mm-hmm. So I take small parts out of it and I build it in into the next trials that we do.
0: Yeah, and and you got to see, you know, one of the things that I shared from my time working with the uh, Navy SEAL program, which was the way that we approached critiquing or going through what we mm-hmm. called a debrief, mm-hmm. was give me two highs and two lows that you experienced on whatever training exercise that we did. And we, like you brought up, people are already thinking about what they did wrong anyway. And as a trainer and an instructor, it's like they're already like this, you know. Mm. And when you approach it with give me two things that you did great or that you did well and two things that you did you could have improved on or you did wrong or whatever you felt – They always go with what they did wrong first. And most times when they address those things, those are the same things that you might have talked about. But then you're also able to talk about what went right. Yeah. And not only when you give them the opportunity to discuss what they, their evaluation of what happened, it saves you as the instructor from coming to them in a way, like you just said, where I'm bringing up what they did wrong and they already have a negative mindset. And then the next session goes to worse because they're even more stressed. Whereas we built um, or in that in that uh, setting, it was accountability. Mm. You know, that person already coming into it with, "Hey, this is where I screwed up," or "This is the errors that occurred." Uh, here's the here's what we did good, and uh, here's our plan of action: what we want to do to improve on the next round. Yeah. And that cleared their mindset, so they weren't already hypersensitive. With just more critique, you know, Mm. Um, like I said, you you said, they are already feeling the error that they made. And then if you come at them with, here's what you did wrong, here's, you know, the screw ups or whatever, you're just piling on more crap to something that was already crappy, which means more negative feeling, which means you're going to, you know, it's just setting you up for more failure, versus figuring out how to improve the situation. And I don't want everybody to go, oh, you guys are just getting a warm and fuzzy. We're just trying to help no. you, you know, have a, a different look at things versus it's, the standard. Like you said, instead of feedback,
1: feed forward. It's not warm and fuzzy because we confront people with mistakes that they're making, but we help them to overcome those mistakes mm-hmm. and we help them to be more relaxed. Um, and it's, uh, a lot of recent research at the moment is about creating safe environments. And uh, they did a lot of research also over here in the U.S. in big hospitals. Mm-hmm. How is it possible if we see into different teams how they are operating? Mm-hmm. And then you see teams that are scoring really bad and there's teams that are scoring really good. And what was the overall red line that they saw in the teams that were scoring really good? They had what you were saying, the accountability to say to each other, I made a really big, mis- big mistakes. How can we improve that the next time? Mm-hmm. So if you're vulnerable, if you have accountability, ownership, mm-hmm. then you will see you can create a safe environment much faster. Yep. And that has nothing to do with fuzzy and hiding your problems mm-hmm. under the carpet mm-hmm. because then you will get a really toxic environment mm-hmm. and then nobody will feel good.
0: I mean, and look at what social media does to us. Yeah, It's all about calling out or... Bringing up someone's what they did, what they oh you did that wrong, yeah. oh why did you do that? That was stupid, yeah. or oh, you, you know I, I kind of laughed at one today when I was, I was sharing the, uh, the the smart wheel mm-hmm. and Simon's olfactometer boxes, and someone's like, yeah, that's nice and all, but that's never going to be affordable for anybody. It's a handler, mm-hmm. and, well. One you don't know for sure, and, and the goal is to always make these things affordable. But to go with it with that negative tone versus like, wow, that was to really cool to see that technology is moving into our detection dog world. Mm-hmm. We're going to have some great tools in the future, you know. Whether it be something like that, it, it by sitting in social media and sitting on a keyboard, it all of a sudden gives us this—I I don't know what you know—the desire to be overly critical mm-hmm. or to have that negative aspect. Which then – why would anybody want to train and do things together or share information like we're doing right now on this this podcast and on this video – if you're always going to get beat down with comments on what they saw wrong. I'll I'll tell you guys right now that you're watching, this is our first time doing a video podcast. I've already made a few errors with you know, switching cameras and things like this because I'm trying to listen to you and run a camera at the same time and all this kind of fun stuff. And that is not the easiest thing to do. Uh, This is round one. So before you go in the comment section, Cameron, you suck. This is a horrible editing. (laughs) How can I follow this? Uh, Those that are listening, You don't have to, you just get to listen to us, have fun, and and like I said, keep talking all this warm and fuzzy stuff. But our our goal is to share with you guys everybody. Um, it's important to look at something with a more positive aspect, yeah. Uh, And
1: and, and, you know, Cameron, we have different opinions too, we mm -hmm. have different personalities, like we have different trainers around us, different handlers around us, again. I want to emphasize another thing. Trainers and handlers, for me there's no difference.
0: Yes, that's a good one.
1: Handlers, trainers, everybody's working with dogs, Everybody is working in influencing, manipulating behavior because you're busy the whole day with dogs. Yeah. I think if we go really deep about the difference then because sometimes if I ask the question in a group, I see people, oh, I'm only a handler. Oh, I'm a trainer. Mm-hmm. And I think if we really go into the into the difference, then I I expect that a trainer is more creative. So if the motivation is dropping low from the animal or from the handler, then the trainer must be capable to say, hey, feed forward, you know what, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we give you a better feeling. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I lost my point. Oh, we have different personalities. Everybody's uh, having different personalities and that's good. But stay curious and stay humble and have respect for each other.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, I think I was telling you this the other day, uh, I have my trainer, Natalie and Natalie is a very positive person. And I joke around how she's, uh, I love having her around me because I'll be intense. And those that know me, uh, when I get passionate about something, it'll come out and it, it, either with a loud voice or with, you know, my presence or whatever it is. And, when they get to be with her, she's like, "It's okay," you know. She's got that, you know. I call it the velvet glove aspect. She's it's nice and soft, and yeah. it. But it's important because what I've seen for sure with people, it's really helped take the edge off. Sometimes, wow. um, you know, like I said, being intense, I, I end up putting pressure on, and in some cases, I want to do that on purpose just for stress in, inoculation yeah. for, for handlers. But sometimes it just gets the best of me, and I get really into it, and then I realize, oh wait, that was too far you know and thank god i have somebody who can be right there sometimes that naturally you know her personality yeah. is a is a soothing one so if you're out there and you're a trainer find somebody if you're intense like me or sometimes find somebody who's who can be a opposite end of you in like Help sometimes uplift the person when you get a little too, uh, impassioned about what you see. And I know you actually brought up how you changed a lot. You, yeah. you went through, uh, you, you can say you come from the special operations community in law enforcement where it's a very intense kind of thing. And it's a very, um, yeah, you, I'm, you I'm, must be very, yeah, uh, at the edge all the time. I'm, I'm
1: I'm working with. Uh, no, I saw with you the uh, the television show, the Shark Tank. You call yeah, it? Shark shark, yeah, Shark I, Tank. I, I mean, he's been sharks. watching
0: Shark Tank uh, <laughs> with me at night at times, and he hasn't get to see the show. And I say, "Hey, this is where I learn some good business <laughs> ideas sometimes." And other times, it's pure entertainment. But uh yeah, there
1: special operations, but also the whole door community. If you don't pay attention, it's like a sort of Shark Tank. Yes, so you have a lot of shark. You have big sharks, uh, smaller sharks. You have Nemo's in between. Yeah, they will not survive. So it's a Shark Tank, but that. It doesn't mean that I have to be a shark too, or that I have to be a bigger shark than all the other sharks. And I learned my lessons. Mm-hmm. 15 years ago, I was also not so having not so much patience and I was also, I yeah. want to see results and I want to go and why don't you listen to my uh, instructions. I was raised in the police force when I started with police dogs 1993. I was not allowed to bring cookies, I was not allowed to bring <laughs> a tennis true. ball, I yeah. was not allowed to bring uh, a kong or a piece of chicken. Nope. No, this is the way how we do it, young boy, and uh, you use coercion, you use punishment, and there's nothing else. Mm-hmm. I promised myself, I promised Marion Bailey just before she passed away, I promised Bob Bailey, I will tell everybody in the world about positive reinforcement. That doesn't mean that it's only positive reinforcement, mm-hmm. because there will be negative reinforcement, there will be positive punishment, there will be negative punishment. But punishment, negative reinforcement—they are trigger words. And before you start a dialogue with somebody, you see the hatches are going down, mm-hmm. the ears are switching off. People are doing this really intense because you—you you are speaking about punishment, trigger word. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm working with my cato board with a uh, a bag full with cookies and a clicker, and my dog is not giving me the criteria for parts of four paws on the. On the board, but only mm-hmm. three, then I'm not using my clicker and I'm not giving him a cookie. That's punishment. That's mm-hmm. already mm-hmm. punishment mm-hmm. itself. So, mm-hmm. the word punishment, maybe we have to come up with a different word.
0: It, that's actually, you know, it's a good point. You know, it, it's, um, it, it, you, when you brought up positive punishment, negative punishment, a lot of times people assume when I ask trainers and I'm like, okay, who here is a trainer? They'll raise their hands. Okay, who here knows operant conditioning? Mm. And they'll go, raise their hands. Oh, yeah, they know it. And then I'll say, okay, we'll start off with the easy one, positive reinforcement. So they'll uh, you know, be able to regurgitate positive reinforcement really easy. And then I'll ask them, okay, what is a correction? Uh. First thing most say, negative reinforcement. No, that's not correct.
1: Uh.
0: And they're kind of – because the human mind thinks the word negative automatically means bad – so they went into it with, oh, well, if, if this is positive reinforcement, the correction is negative reinforcement, and that's mm-hmm. incorrect, positive punishment. And we don't have to get into the, you know, the quadrants and how they work, but the thought process what I'm getting at in my point was they viewed just hearing the word negative automatically meant bad. And the joke I make about this is the word negative or positive when it comes into science doesn't necessarily mean bad or good. Mm-hmm. It means something's there or not there. So my joke is, when your doctor calls you and says your test result is negative, isn't that a good thing, depending on what it is? And then right then, they'll start laughing and going, oh, okay, okay, I see your point. And that's what I want them to understand when it comes to dog training, or you're hearing the operant conditioning. Don't go by the thinking positive or negative means bad or good. It's something there or something's taken away.
1: You know, Cameron, a few months ago, I was giving a workshop somewhere, and um, the one of the people uh, asked me, Simon, can I discuss something with you? I said, yes, of course, in your presentation, because it was after that we were drinking coffee, uh, in your presentation, you you were talking about negative reinforcement, punishment, and that sort of things. I don't like it. I'm purely 100% positive, and I don't like all that things that are going wrong, uh, that going along. So Mm -hmm. I try to, um, again, clear it out. And on that same moment, Her dog was jumping on the table, smashing all the computers, all the coffee everywhere, because the dog wanted to grab some cookies. And she was grabbing the dog and dragged the dog off the table. I said, how do you like this then? This is not 100% positive what you're doing over here to tell your dog it's Mm -hmm. not allowed to jump on the table and to grab the cookies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but this dog understands what I mean. you know. So (laughs) we have a difficulty. Before we know it, we start into debates with each other. Yes. And we have to be... Yep. patient and yep. curious
0: for sure so bringing this back around into some heavier detection now that you were over here and you were training with a lot of different handlers from all over the place we had mm. police officers from all over we had some far away as texas we had uh california of course nevada um people from all over search and rescue teams from all over so now that you got a good taste for two weeks of seeing and working with some uh, American detection dog teams, what are some of the things that you took away? What are some things that you would give us advice to work on? Uh, I'll start off there, and I, I, I want to bring it positive. So, without, you know, bringing our whole conversation. <laughs> what are what, what did you see, and where are uh, like advice you would give us?
1: Oh wow, um, that's a tough question. Yeah. Uh, the tough That's question. why
0: I'm, I'm, you're on a show where I ask you tough questions. Yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> oh, great. I, I think we can add some more uh, focus on the use of bridge signals. Yes. Because for a lot of people, it's still a little bit, uh, what is a bridge signal? How can I yeah. use it? Uh, I think we can, and what you were doing over here, of course, with Nathan and Paola, bringing in more scientific uh, background because it's helping. I, yeah. I see people are, re- are really eager into that. Yeah. Um, a big difference between Europe and uh, US is that people are really wanting to know more about the theoretical background. Uh, in Europe, I often see people that are coming up there and they want to train, train, train all day. Mm-hmm. No, the theory is not so. The theoretical side is not so important, but I want to train. Yeah. And here yeah, I saw a really nice mixture. Yeah. And I think we really succeed in that. Uh, in the morning, when everybody's is fresh. Um, uh, Doing a lot of theoretical things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the roundtable debates that you organized were really nice because if you have those conversations together, the information will be more sticky in your head. And then after lunch, we started to train dogs in different um, parts of this uh, wonderful building with mm-hmm. air conditioning because yes. outside. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's Las Vegas hot. in June.
0: Yeah. We were in triple digits all the time. Yeah,
1: so uh, that was uh, really nice. Uh, but what I really liked was that we created, I think, a really safe environment that people could choose. Okay, I go to train over there with Natalie or with Lily or mm-hmm. with Cameron or mm-hmm. with Simon, and they could come out there. They could see new things or things they, had, they were not so good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could th- they were vulnerable, so they opened up. Hey, can you help me with this or can I try this? Uh, yeah, I think we succeed in that way in a really nice, um, yeah, yeah in, really nice workshop
0: yeah and I think one of the things that uh, you gave to people that they hadn't seen as often I mean we talk about odor recognition testing a lot Uh, I don't see a lot of teams doing it I'll I'll say more the professional side professional sides don't do it as often as those in sport are more apt to do it more frequently Uh, what you were able to show was doing the ORTs whether it be on the smart wheel the standard wheel uh, lineups you brought fun into it and then yeah. we brought in the, the place board. So we'd have a place board that would be on my left and a place board on the right. And then that lineup's in the middle. I like, yeah, you can pull up a photo of it in here in a second. Yeah, we'll And um, it. What, it, what that really does is it kind of made it, like I said, fun for everybody. It wasn't the standard typical ORT. Um, so that made it really enjoyable. Uh, like you said, teaching people how to use the bridge uh, condition reinforcer, to better communicate, specifically certain behaviors they wanted, I think you have the image yeah, up now. It. Okay, so yeah, you know, uh,
1: lineups, ORTs, or however you want to call them, they are really good confidence builders. Yes. So if yes. people and I was showing how to do that, there uh, you can do that double blind even when you're working alone. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, people can find it on my website. Uh, yes. I post some things, and I even made a, an online course about uh, how to do that. The yep. ORTs. Yep. Uh, confidence builders, because if you are working double blind, because that's not a topic that we discuss yet in this mm-hmm, podcast, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we have uh, done a lot about working double blind. If you're working double blind in your own ORT setting, then you're training yourself, but also your dog to be really confident in that and you will see if you have done it a few hundred times. Mm-hmm. Whoever will place a lineup for you or hide the target for you, you're really comfortable with it because yeah. you have done it so much. Yeah, And that's a, a big mistake in the detection world that we often um, wait with working double blind. So we are working in a way that we know where the target is. Eventually we dare to go a little bit blind. So if we are working together, you know where it is, you prepare everything. You say, Simon, come in. I'm checking the room or I do my lineup and not only me can look at you, but also my dog starts to understand, hey, I can look at Cameron because yep. Cameron is also giving me some cues. Uh-huh. We call it blind. Yep. And then if we go really double blind, then it would be Cameron, you prepare this room for me. I'm not here. I'm waiting outside. And then you're coming outside. You can say, Simon, grab your dog, go into the room. Good luck with it. And nobody's here. So I have no clue where it is. My dog have no clue where it is. Mm-hmm. That's really double-blind. And if you prepare yourself, if you bring yourself in that situation, if you step into that arena again, yep. then you can retrain yourself. And eventually, okay, you love that sort of uh, uh, task, that sort of uh, uh, yeah, challenges you yeah. get from Yeah, and
0: then that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And so I'll throw at you what people typically say when they're doing the uh, um, double-blind fear part of it, is they'll say, well... I'm afraid I'm going to ruin my dog. What what if I reinforce on something else? I don't want to do a double blind because I might cause an error or maybe I paid on the wrong odor. Maybe I didn't pay when my dog was. Maybe, you know, there's all this fear that comes from double blinds. So how do you address when you have somebody and you're going to say, Hey, guess what we're doing today, we're going to do double blind.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, again, what I was saying with Feed Forward, it's not fuzzy. uh, No, we are really going for that. So we are also going into the deep, difficult things. So Mm -hmm. then we do double blinds. And I help people to overcome their fear for the double blind test.
0: 100%. And and I was going to say, one of the things I've been able to do when I've gone to seminars and I've thrown the double blind at some of the cops I've worked with, once they do it, their confidence shoots way up. Yeah. They realize it wasn't as scary, and I tell them, hey, your choice is to reward or not reward. Yeah. I would suggest if you trust your dog and you're currently on the street and you're already out there doing searches for real, mm. you should be able to reward your dog on a double-blind tra- Well, Okay, I won't call it training because it, it double-blind is a test, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We take information from that test to make our training better, but uh, double-blind is, is, is a test. You should, though, if you trust your dog and you've done your training properly, you should be able to, if you wanted to, reward that dog. we And we've talked about this. We don't want training and reality to be so separate. The dog starts picking up those uh, differences between reality and training. But talk about, you know, I see you're ready to say something, so uh, expand upon that.
1: Yeah, you know, you can also make your dog really resilient for the operational work that you yes. e- eventually will face. So in a lineup, I'm not always reinforce my dog with mm-hmm. balls, clickers, gongs, or yep. whatever. No, I can also, when the dog is hitting on number four, I can also pet him a little bit and say, well, good job, thank you, when we go to the next yes. lineup. So even petting him is a social reinforcer, but it's mm-hmm. not all the who's games and whatever will happen then. No. Mm-hmm. So the dog's starting to get... Uh, resilient to the fact if I do my operation later and daddy is patting me on the head, we move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And yes, of course, in real operations, I'm not always reinforcing because I also don't know what's really actually there. And but we, and it may not be safe. May, or it's not possible, possible by technical exactly. circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have seen um, multiple times in real operations that dog handlers are so busy with their dog that if they find somebody they, uh, for instance, tracking dogs, they find somebody and they're so happy that the dog found somebody finally after all those jobs that nobody was there at the end of it. Mm-hmm. The, uh, uh, and then they started to reinforce the dog because, yeah, I always need to reinforce my uh, dog from my instructor. And then at the, that moment, the guy, we pick up the guy, we handcuff him and we find a big machine gun on the wrist belly. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You have to be aware of the whole picture if you're working with dogs. Yeah,
0: and the, the point I wanted to bring back around was back to what we brought up earlier. It's not always one or the other. No. You, you know, you have to create that variable aspect in training and in, re, in your reality, uh, your real searches or competition. Uh, the thing that, of course, Nathan brought up when he was speaking was quit making your training like you're a vending machine. Yeah. Because reality turns into a slot machine. Yeah. And if you're always a vending machine in training, and then all of a sudden you go to reality, and there's long searches, no odor present, no, which means no reinforcement, which means the dog's going, the machine's broken. Mm. You know, And his analogy he gave was, if you put your dollar in that vending machine and nothing came out, how many of you would put another dollar? And there would be some. How many would put a third dollar in there, the numbers dropped almost zero. And he said, then you get frustrated and you'd shake the machine. So, if in training you aren't including your all clears, you're not including you, you know, basically coming up just praising the dog off or just using your condition reinforcer only followed by praise. You have to incorporate all of those things in training. So that way, when reality comes around and you can use any one of those things or a double blind, The dog isn't shocked or surprised by whatever you choose, how to reinforce or not reinforce or how you handle that situation.
1: Yeah, you know, Cameron, when I'm driving for a long uh, time, so I'm driving for two hours and I'm coming home, that before I'm home, my dog is already already standing up in his car because he knows he's coming home. Yes, How? I don't know. Uh, maybe the smell, maybe the movement, maybe the fact that I'm slowing down, whatever. But The bumps on the road, whatever it he is. He knows we are home. Yeah, That's the same with your training location. Yes. So if you're driving to your training location, your dog knows happy days. We're going to train here. Yeah. I will find a lot. There will be lots of reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Happy days. Yeah. Then you'll drive in another direction that your dog is still sleeping if you open the kennel because <laughs> he has no idea where he is. Yeah. But that then he's in an uh, operational setting. You ask your dog to find something, there's nothing. Next operation, find something, there's nothing. Next operation, find something, there's nothing. For the fourth operation, your dog is not so motivated and enthusiastic anymore and is not expecting there will be some finds. And then you are going back to your training location. Hey, we are here. Happy days, we're going to find things. And dogs understand that really quickly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take them a few months to understand the difference between training happy days and operation really boring. I never find something. Yeah. So you have to change that. And um, Nathan was speaking about 70% in the training, mm-hmm. 30% mm-hmm. in operations. Mm-hmm. You need to build something in your training um, program the dogs are doing long searches without finding anything. Correct. And you need to build something in your operations or change your way of training that you take your dog to an unknown place mm-hmm. and suddenly there's something to find. Yep. That's really important. Yeah. And that is something that we really need to spread out there in the world.
0: For sure. And, and people that run training with me often often run into, oh, it's Cameron, you know. We will not find anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, it's true. You know, I, I I push them to uncomfortable levels with blanks mm. because all of you that are listening, and I won't say all of you, many of you that are listening like to find stuff, yep. and that's fun, and I get it. It's enjoyable. Your your dog really likes it. You have fun with it. It's, it's good times, right? Um, but I want the dog to also, and you, more so the dog. The dogs are always almost fine. It's the human by mm-hmm. room number four or five is like, oh, my God, why haven't I found anything yet? Or the least little thing the dog sniffs, this the human reacts, the handler's doing this and doing that. And the dog's like, okay, I wanted to leave, but I you keep staring at this thing, or you won't leave, or your hand is in your pocket, or whatever those things are. Um, they haven't proofed that. And back to the point we're making is, you know, as you progress in your training and you write your protocols, recycling all the way back to the beginning of this conversation, We want to build in those situations where it's an all-clear search. And I'm not saying blank rooms and and your search ends with a find. No, the entire search is blank. Mm. You get done, you didn't find anything. That's reality. So therefore, in training, there should be times where that happens. Um, A lot of people get confused when you say, oh, you got to run a blank search. They think this means blank cars or blank rooms within the search, Mm. but they're still finding something. No, we're saying all-clear blank. So that way, when you face that reality, the dog doesn't go, the machine's broken, you know, and you as a handler have been put in that situation where you can a, a deal with that and you you know what those feelings feel like after you've gone five rooms, six rooms and haven't found anything yet. And then you, then you get comfortable. Then you actually start relaxing and just enjoying the search work again. Yeah. So th- those are some of the things that uh, I know you and I had shared throughout this, the, these two weeks here. And those that are listening, uh, I'll let you guys know that these, Every lecture that we had at this event, over the two weeks of events, uh, are going to be available online, both on fordk9 FordK9.com and on SimonPrinzact.com. And you guys will be able to purchase those uh, videos or those lectures. Uh, you'll be able to purchase them as an audit spot. So it'd be as if you were there the whole entire time. So you'll get all the videos. And just like we're doing here with this first, uh, you know, our podcast video, um, I use this same equipment that we're playing with right now and and made these lectures available for everybody who's listening. Uh, You'll be able to go to those locations and find those. Um, We also, like you said last night when I uh, exposed you to pizza and lots of beer, (laughs) we started having, we carried on a lot of our brainstorming ideas and now we can share, we'll hint a little bit. Uh, to the people that are listening. Um, Simon and I are going to be merging some uh, training aspects together Mm -hmm. for 2023. Uh, We'll be also pulling in some others to this uh, group of, uh, of trainers, and we will have something very special in 2023 called the Detection Dog Training School and or the Detection Dog Trainer School, I should say, and the Detection Dog School.
1: And and now I have to stop you, Ed, because otherwise you go on. I won't go too far. No, 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 I'll keep
0: it just a teasing, (laughs) just a teasing. Uh, But for everybody listening and watching, there's some great stuff coming in 2023. So stay tuned to uh, your website and my website and our social media feeds. So speaking of that, so if they... You know, this is actually technically, I'm going to call it a redo of our last podcast because the quality of audio we had didn't work out so well. So this should be hopefully a lot better for everybody. But for those who don't know how to find you or want to buy some of those amazing products that people saw here in person, like your wheels, your tent, I mean, you've got everything. So where do they go to find all this stuff?
1: On my website, SimonPrince.com, you will find a lot of information, also a lot of Information to give you some new ideas to challenge you a little bit to go in uh, levels that you have never thought that were possible with dogs. Are also some videos over there, but you also find, uh, will find my web shop over there with all the products in it. Yep,
0: and there's a. I'm telling everybody. There is a lot of good products that you have. I now have some of them here. Um, and again, uh, parts of our the, the things that we'll be doing coming up ahead, will merge a lot of these things together so mm. people will be able to get these things even easier. But I'll tell you right now, if you want to order from Simon's website, it's not hard to get it in the United States. You know? no. uh, the price will probably be listed in euros, so they'll have to do a conversion, I guess, or will your website yeah. convert
1: that for them? Yeah, and otherwise they send me an email and they'll help you with okay.
0: it. Okay, so there you go. Um Again, thank you for coming back on here. Thank you for coming out here for for two weeks of training.
1: Thank you for having me here.
0: Oh, it it was fantastic. I'm so glad you got to do this and we got to do this podcast again. Um, There's lots of online learning we got coming up. So, everybody, you're going to really enjoy, I hope, having all of these things available to you through the website. Um, We finally, as you can tell, have all the equipment. I may not be a master yet of learning how to use all these things. So I hope you guys enjoyed the first Uh, video podcast of canines talking sense. And until the next time, it's okay to be nosy.